I want to uh, begin with a scientific study, but before we do that, let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians, in the third chapter, as we continue in our series on anticipation. Anticipation. The Spirit of God is a spirit of anticipation. Now, we have discussed hitherto that the Spirit of God was there in creation in Genesis 1 verse 2. He was hovering over the face of the waters. And we understood that word hovering. We understood it to mean as that mother eagle in Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse 11 was shaking in eager anticipation. Waiting to participate with the word in the creation of the world day by day. Now, it is something significant we will come back to later in the message, but suffice it to say that the Holy Spirit takes the Word of God and it makes that Word a reality. Amen. Take those two amens. And then we saw that this is magnified in the fact that Jesus, described in John chapter 1 and verse 14 as the Word, and that the Word was made flesh. But the question was, how was the Word made flesh? And the Bible told us the same question that Mary had, we have. And the Holy, not the Holy Spirit, the angel through the Holy Spirit told her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the highest will overshadow you. And he will take divinity and give it atomic particles. He will make it flesh. He will make it have a nose and eyes and a particular hair color. This is what the Holy Spirit can do with divinity. And we saw that in the same sense, if we wanted Christ to be formed in us, it would require the same surrender that Mary made to the angel. Behold your slave. As your word, so let it be according to me. Yesterday, on Wednesday night, we, we looked at the fact that we continue in our series on anticipation of the Spirit and the cross, and we saw that the Lamb of God is also the individual that baptizes with the Holy Spirit. But our question was, which one comes first? And we saw in John 7 and verse, uh, verses 37 through 40, the Bible writer, the Apostle John, reminded us that the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. And what did he mean by glorified? We saw in John chapter 12, in verses 20 to 27, on and on to verse 30 and 31, where Christ begins to say, as if I be lifted up, but this he wasn't talking about just praising him. He was talking about being lifted up by how he would die. The crucifixion. And this was the hour of his glorification according to Jesus. And therefore, the cross of Christ the Holy Spirit was shaking in eager anticipation of the fact that he would be able to come down and enter into the believers at that time once Jesus' sacrifice was complete. He was ready to come. He saw Pentecost on the horizon. And we said in the same sense and more, if we believe that the Holy Spirit is hovering over this place in eager anticipation, waiting for the preaching of the word, and yet the Holy Spirit is also waiting on us to allow the Lamb of God to take away our sins. Can you say amen to that? And so we wanted to come face to face with this ugly thing called sin that takes our joy. And so as a result, we, we wanted to make that surrender to Jesus. No, Lord, don't just come in and knock on the door of my heart. We wanted Jesus to take the sins. Kick down the door if you need to, Lord. Amen? Because I want it out of my life. I don't know about you, but I'm ready for sin to be done. I'm ready for it to be done. No more of this, Lord, here we go again. Prayers. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? How many times do I have to be at this place? How many times do I have to come to church feeling dirty, unaccepted, not so joyful to be here on Sabbath? Why? Because I messed up this week. And the Lamb of God 
can cure that problem. So we build off of this in 2 Corinthians in the third chapter to talk about the Holy Spirit as a spirit of anticipation. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, one of our favorite verses, I believe, we love to quote it. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18. Well, let's start in verse 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. There's a sermon right there. If the Spirit isn't here, there is no liberty. But the Bible adds in verse 18, but we all with unveiled face. That means no blockage, nothing to keep us from beholding whatever he's about to say. Beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. According to the Apostle Paul, what are we beholding? It's okay to talk to the preacher. According to the Apostle Paul, what are we beholding? The glory of the Lord. I'm not asking you to insult your intelligence. I'm asking you because this will make a very significant difference as the message goes on. So in this mind, Paul says, we have no veil over our face. And we are beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. And we love to say, by beholding, you become changed. We love to say that. In fact, there was a scientific study in Italy with some monkeys, and they were trying to study these things called motor neurons. And they said, you know, when, when my hand goes like this, there's a neuron that fires in my brain. Then I look this way, and another neuron fires in my brain. So they were studying monkeys and their motor neurons. So they had this monkey, and he had a little bar with some peanuts. And they would wait for the monkey to grab the peanut, and when he would grab the peanut, the motor neuron would fire, it would register in the machine. But one day, the scientists realized this is a very boring experiment. You're waiting for the monkey to grab the peanut. He's eating the bananas. He's climbing around. He's going to sleep. So one time, the scientist walked up, and he grabbed the peanut. And the same neuron fired in the monkey's brain. He said, wait a minute. He didn't move. So the scientist went back, grabbed another peanut. What? Grabbed another peanut. This was completely groundbreaking research that revealed there are not just motor neurons in the mind, but mirror neurons. And mirror neurons suggest that in monkeys as well as in human beings, the human mind cannot differentiate from seeing something from doing it. If there's ever an incentive to turn away from foolishness on TV, it's that. This is why pornography is pervasive. Because of mirror neurons. This is why people want to see heroes. This is why people want to see, oh, the world is in danger. My dad, you know, was talking to me. We were on the phone one time and he said, I don't know what's with all these movies coming out. Everything's the end of the world. How can you have a part two? You already saved the world. What other issues could you raise? Galactic, oh, the Milky Way galaxy. I'm like, yeah, it's true, daddy, that's true. But why is it that we said on Wednesday night Netflix could report that Americans had watched 60-something billion hours of movies in one year? What is it that people are trying to behold and experience in their own mind? So we say, again, aha, the research proves physiologically we are built to imitate what we see. In fact, that's how little children learn. You look at my daughter and you go like this, guess what she does? She starts trying to clap her hands. It's built into her brain. This is how we learn and we grow early on, is simply becoming imitators. But the irony is, is the verse doesn't stop there because it says, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image. Can you say amen? amen? You see, the Bible says, what when we are beholding the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed into the same image 
the same glory, the same thing that we are seeing, the glory of the Lord. But notice, he says, from glory to glory. In other words, this is not an overnight process. This is a step-by-step process. And what kind of step-by-step process does that actually look like? Keep your finger here. Go to Romans chapter 3. We're going to come back to 2 Corinthians. Romans chapter 3. And I want you to look at verse 23. Romans chapter 3. Very well-known verse. Romans in the third chapter, in verse 23, the Bible says, are you there? Okay. See, some people still turning. I want you to see it for yourself. The Bible says in Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, we have to pause here for a moment. You see, if all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, we got to pause for a second and say, wait, 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 wait. How come... All, referring to humanity, human beings, why does it matter that they come short of the glory of God? Why don't we say, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of man? Have you ever asked that question before? We just read it like, oh yeah, that's what the text says. Not recognizing the theology built into the very statement itself. The apostle is suggesting that men should not come short of the glory of God. They were made to reflect exactly what the divine presents. The Bible was what was in Adam's mind before he ate the fruit. You didn't hear what I just said. The Bible and its truths were in the mind of Adam before he sinned. He did it by nature. It was as natural to Adam to sit down and say, you know what, turn the other cheek as it was for birds to fly, worms to wiggle, and for sheep to mad and do whatever they need to do. It was that natural to Adam before he ate the fruit. And all of these commandments, all of these verses only reveal how far we have fallen from the truth that was in his mind. You see... You don't have to add rules until people start acting foolish. There's a website that calls ridiculous laws on the books. You can go to the website. They'll tell you crazy laws that exist. There's a law in one particular state. I'm not going to say which one because it might be Oklahoma. No elephants downtown after noon. It's a law. No elephants downtown after 12 p.m. Now, you're thinking about this, right? You're looking at this thing is on the books. It is in the record. Did you know that in many states, it is actually illegal to commit adultery? It's against the law. You know why they stopped prosecuting? Because we don't have enough prisons to hold the people committing adultery. Kind of went the same way as marijuana is going right now. Listen, man, the court is filled with these people. Just forget it. But they didn't legalize adultery, though. I mean, that would never pass. Who wants to pass that legislation with your wife sitting behind you? (laughs) I support this, honey. What? (laughs) So as a result, the Bible says all have sinned. No one will dispute that fact. Can we say amen? amen? So we won't dispute that fact. But where we begin to make the disconnection is that if we sin... We are falling short of the glory of God. But you see, the point that he's making is, to sin is to fall short of the glory of God. Why? Because he says in verse 23 of Romans chapter 3, all have sinned, past tense. The next phrase says, fall short. In the original language in the Greek, it is continually falling short of the glory of God. Not only have they sinned in the past, they are currently in the process of falling short. As soon as you woke up, as soon as I woke up, we started falling short of the glory of God. It is a present reality, but the Bible says it ought not to be. We ought not to fall short of the glory of God. And so when we go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, 
And the Bible says, but we all with unveiled face are beholding the glory of the Lord. As in a mirror are transformed into the same image. But not overnight. From glory to glory. So what does that mean? That means, brothers and sisters, that means that from glory to glory means sin today is less tomorrow. Did you hear what I just said? If you're glowing from glory to glory, what the Holy Spirit is trying to do in the life, we haven't come to that just yet, but just take my word for it. He's saying, listen, today, tomorrow, the continuous day, you are constantly coming less and less short of the glory of God. So we look at a godly man, a godly minister, a godly brother, a godly father, and we're like, man, I never met a more godly person. All we're simply saying is he's not as falling short as much as I am. He's gone from glory to glory. It is a process. You see, Oftentimes, we find ourselves falling at the feet of Jesus, weeping for our mistakes and our shortcomings. But we are reminded we are not to be discouraged. What we need to understand is the tendency of the life. It is not the occasional good deed or misdeed, but it is the tendency of the life. You see, when we understand this truth, that are you going from glory to glory determines the fact of how you fall, not if you fall. Because you're falling short of the glory of God. But it ought not to be. So this means if you and I messed up this week, what we need to sit down and tell ourselves is, but Lord, that's not the tendency of my life. That's not the direction I'm going. Because many of us, when we fall, we didn't fall willingly. You know what I'm saying? My father used to say there's a difference between falling into the puddle and diving. If, if your pants are wet, you fell. If your shirt, your neck, the back of your clothes are wet, you dove into the puddle. Even though you tell your dad, yeah, daddy, I tripped, fell into the water. No, you didn't fall. <laughs> and it's no different when we're trying to walk with the Lord. That he says, listen, some of us, we fall, but it's a little different because this is not the tendency of my life. I'm not looking for a way to sin. I'm not trying to get myself in trouble. I'm not seeking to disappoint the Lord. That's not my aim. That's not my goal. That's not my tendency. Take that one amen, because we need to understand this truth. We won't be discouraged on Sabbath. We won't be broken down. We won't be singing like we're coming to our funeral rather than to praise our God who is risen. And in this sense, 2 Corinthians still doesn't end the verse by then, and it's encouraging already. But the Bible says, are transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. We say, it's by beholding. The text says it is by beholding and by the Spirit. Let me explain what I mean by this. You see, brothers and sisters, we all desire to be like Jesus. We understand the struggle of what it means to fall short of the glory of God. What it means is when I compare my life to Jesus' life, I see a difference. Can you say amen? So when I look at Christ and I look at myself, I'm like, there's a big difference between me and Jesus. Someone walked up to you and said, you know what? You remind me so much of Jesus. We'd be looking at them cross-eyed. You're talking about Jesus, the guy who lives down the street. But you're not talking about Jesus in the Bible. Because me and Christ, we're far, far, far different. So as a result, in this desire to say, you know what, Lord? I want to be more like you. There were also 12 disciples that wanted to be like Jesus. Not only did they want to be like Jesus, they committed to follow Jesus. Not only did they commit to follow Jesus, they traveled everywhere with Jesus. Not only did they travel with Jesus, they actually slept with Jesus. 
Not only did they sleep with Jesus, they went to weddings with Jesus. They went to funerals with Jesus. Everywhere they went was with Christ. And yet at the end of three and a half years of watching that perfect, holy life, Peter still denied it. Judas still betrayed him. They all still forsook him. Even his mother didn't try to help him at the cross. Even his mother. And you're looking at this situation thinking to yourself, Mary saw Christ for 30 years. There was no way in her mind she saw the life of her son and thought to herself, I have nothing to rebuke Jesus for. The only thing she could rebuke him for was doing what his father told him to do. So in this situation, you're asking yourself, Peter, you saw Christ. You walked with him. You heard his voice, his teachings. He gave you personal attention. How come after three and a half years of following the Lord, when Jesus said to Philip, Philip, have I been so long with you? Do you know what Jesus is saying to him? All this time, it still hasn't penetrated. Have I been so long with you? Is the Lord asking us this night, have I been so long with you? And you still ask me, how do I overcome sin? How do I stay close to the Lord? How do I walk? How do I show people that you're real? Have I been so long with you? Because it's not what you behold. People hear the same sermons. People read the same Bible. People see the same miracles and the same workings. And yet they are no different. I know people read the Bible 10, 20 times. The devil's number one ace man. But he's read the Bible. And he's going around blasting Christians who ain't read the Bible. Like, that's like a badge or something. Like, there's no spiritual pathfinders. That's not what this is. I finished this. I read my whole Bible 10 times. Great for you. More responsibility. Hope you're living up to that 10 times you read. Well, you know, I thought it was an interesting read because it's not just beholding. You ever seen a godly person have wicked kids? I have. I have. I'm like, this man, this woman, they love the Lord. I mean, just look at Samson. Manoah and his wife, they followed the Lord's directions to the T. And this brother grew up and married a Philistine woman. And when that got messed up, he went to a prostitute. That wasn't even Jewish. At least Judah went to a Jewish prostitute. Samson, he's like, I'm going to go to a Philistine, uncircumcised prostitute. He wasn't even interested in marriage after that. He's just shacking up. Only to lose his eyes. Because that was his problem from the beginning. But that's a whole nother sermon. You have Manoah and his wife, godly people, but a son that just could not get it right. You would think Samson beholding his parents would have had an impact on him. How many of us know people we respect spiritually? We've beheld, but we're no different. We haven't taken on the qualities that we admire this was the disciples' experience. And the Bible says it's not just beholding. Because at Pentecost, the same Peter who stood in the judgment hall and denied Christ was the same one who stood in there and said, Listen, I know you told us not to preach in his name, but guess what? We can't help it. You said what? Yes, right. We ought to obey God. Rather than man. You know what they said? The Bible says the wicked Pharisees who hate Jesus, who were the same priests that were at the crucifixion, influencing Pilate with no backbone, these same Jews looked at Peter and John, who forsook their Lord on the day of the crucifixion, and said they took note of them, that they had been with Jesus. 
Because they looked so much like him, they sounded so much like him, their bearing was so much like him. They noticed and said, you must have been hanging around Jesus. You know, you know when a person comes back from the south and they start speaking with a little twang? You're like, you've been down south somewhere. Some brother grows to France, comes back talking about, oh, 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 oh. you're like, brother, you've been in France. Because based on where you've been around, we say, hey, you've been around some people talking like this. In the same sense, they said at Peter and John, these people have been hanging around Christ. But what was the difference in the same judgment hall with the same Jewish priests? You know what the difference was? Holy Spirit. He took what Peter had saw and he impressed it on Peter's mind. Peter, you see Jesus? You see how he taught? You see how he ministered? You see how he healed? If you want to replicate that in your life and you want that to be reproduced in you, it's going to require the Holy Spirit. That is the difference. And that is what the Apostle Paul is trying to get across to us. He's saying the Holy Spirit <laughs> is the one that takes us from glory to glory. But you see, how does this relate to anticipation? How does this relate to anticipation and the second coming? And this is where it gets exciting for me. So I want to take you on a little bit of a uh, Bible study as we kind of turn the corner and begin to head towards our conclusion. I want to take you to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. We talked about the lamb on Wednesday. And the lamb on Wednesday, we talked about that the lamb of God, and what does the lamb of God do according to John chapter 1 verse 29? Takes away sins of the world. What if I told you there was more to that verse than what we think? Let's look at it. Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews is actually one of my favorite books in the Bible. I just think it's profound, every verse. The Bible says in verse 9 of Hebrews chapter 9, it says, it was symbolic. He's talking about the sanctuary. For the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make him who performed the service, what? Perfect in regard to the conscience. So we talked about the lamb, right? And remember we went through those verses, Genesis 22, Exodus 12. We went into Leviticus 3, that peace offering. So these are the offerings that the apostle Paul is referencing in the book of Hebrews. These offerings in which they brought, he says, they could not make them perfect who offered them in terms of the conscience. They were ceremonially clean. They were ceremonially acceptable to stay in the fellowship of Israel, but it didn't cleanse the conscience. You say, well, what exactly do you mean? Well, let's go down to verse 13. The Bible says, for if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the what? Of the flesh. So these offerings were about physical cleansing, the Bible says. This is how you could come into the sanctuary. This is how you could come into fellowship with God. It purified your flesh. But notice he says, if the blood of bulls and goats did that. Verse 14, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God. Cleanse your what? Conscience from dead works to serve the living God. You see, he's saying what these animal sacrifices were doing for the body, the blood of Christ does for the mind. Are you hearing what I'm saying? He says the, the blood of these animals externally appealing to the senses were doing for the physical body of the Jews what that blood of Jesus does for the mind, for the conscience. The word conscience means conscientia, which means with knowledge. You can't, your conscience can't convict you if you don't know something is wrong. That's why before I knew the Sabbath was the Sabbath, I didn't feel guilty going out Friday night. It wasn't in my conscience. Why? Because I didn't know. 
But as soon as I had that Bible study, soon as someone opened up and said, brother, you can't be sleeping around like that. Brother, that's the untruth. You're lying. Brother, you shouldn't talk to your mother that way. All of a sudden, because I heard it, because now it's in my mind, my conscience, when someone calls me up on Friday and says, hey, Sebastian, I'm having a birthday party, and I know what kind of birthdays he celebrates. I want you to come through, man. Just I know you Christian. I know you a holy roller. You ain't got to participate in You ain't got to drink no alcohol. You ain't got to mess with the ladies. Just come through, man. It would be great to see you, bro. We're, we're family. We're friends. Then the conscience. Sebastian, six days shalt thou labor and do all your work. But the seventh day <laughs> is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. You're on the phone like, there's your conscience. But see, there's something that he's adding. He's not talking about conscience as in the conscience is like, oh, you're about to do something wrong. He's talking about conscience of the fact that even though, well, don't let me get ahead of myself. Let's go down. Chapter 10. <laughs> Chapter 10 of Hebrews. Let's explain more what he means. Because he said in verse 14 of chapter 9, that the blood of Christ cleanses our consciences from dead works. Did the Bible say that, yes or no? Yeah. All right, let's go to chapter 10, verse 1. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with these same sacrifices, which they offer how often? Continually, year by year, make those who approach what? Perfect. Those sacrifices cannot make them perfect. Verse 2. For then would they not have ceased to be what? Offered. Does this not make logical sense? If the sacrifices did what needed to be done, why do you continue to offer them? Are you following that? You ever gone to the store and the guy says, this is $9.99. You give the guy $10 and he says, okay, I'm waiting for another $10. That wouldn't make sense, right? Because you say, if the money covered it, I shouldn't have to pay you anything else. But the very fact that the Jews were offering these sacrifices year after year after year for hundreds of years says that what the blood of Jesus did on the cross, hundreds of years of animals could never do. Amen. Amen. But we're not done yet. It says, verse 2, for the worshipers once what? Purified, cleansed, would have had no more what? Sinness of sins. Does your Bible say that? Yes or no? That's what my Bible says. So when I read this, I started getting excited. Because it says in verse 3, just so I made sure I didn't misunderstand what he was saying. But in those sacrifices, there is a what? Reminder of sins. How often? Every year, verse 4, for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats can do what? Take away sins. Hold on. He said the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. So his blood doesn't just forgive us, doesn't just cleanse us from its guilt, doesn't just cleanse us from its power. The Bible says the blood of Jesus cleanses us from the consciousness of sins. We will come to the day through the blood of Jesus where we will have no more remembrance. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And the Bible says <laughs> that the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world is the same one that baptizes with the Holy Spirit. In other words, when the Holy Spirit is taking us from glory to glory, He's working on both sides of the account. You see, the ones that are past, he's building us up to that moment because he says there's going to come a day where you won't even be able to remember the sins that you committed. Because the whole point of the blood of the animal wasn't just to forgive, wasn't just to reconcile and make peace with God, but to cleanse our conscience. You don't even remember because guess what? The number one access to temptation is the fact you remember what you did before. Am I telling the truth? That brother wouldn't go back to the pornography website if he couldn't remember what it felt like. Are you with me? 
So as a result, I'm not going to go ahead and rob the bank if I don't remember what it's like to have $10 million. I totally forgot. I don't remember how I fired the gun. I don't remember how I got in the building. I don't remember anything. Amen. We're talking about the blood of Jesus. Now you, now you want to sing the song, There is Power in the Blood? Because then when you sing that song, there is power, power, wonder, working power to get us to the place where we can't even remember. Amen. And wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. So you say, what is the Holy Spirit doing? So we started on this journey to head towards a certain place. And we're almost there. Go look in chapter 10 and verse 11. It says, and every priest stands ministering daily, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, I should be a sermon title right here. But this man, Jesus, after he had offered how many sacrifices? One. <laughs> One sacrifice. The Bible says for sins for how long? So remember I told you yesterday, if sin came up again, his sacrifice covers that too. If it ever came up, the Bible promises it won't. But if it did, the blood of Jesus is so powerful. One sacrifice cleanses from sins forever. The Bible goes on to say, sat down at the right hand of God. Goes on. From that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. That's all Jesus is waiting on. And it says, for by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. In case you think this is a New Testament belief, he goes on and says, but the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us. For after he had said before, this is the Holy Spirit talking. The Holy Spirit said, this is the covenant that will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and into their minds. I will write them. Then he adds. Notice what the apostle is saying. The Holy Spirit could have stopped right there. The Holy Spirit added and said, their sins and their lawless deeds. I will what? Remember no more. Amen. So that means when God sees us, he doesn't see us as, oh, you're the person who did X, Y, Z, X, Y, Z, X, Y, Z. He says the new covenant, the Holy Spirit said, let me add this just as an extra caveat on the new covenant. You see, there's a days are coming when not only will I put my law in your heart and I will write it on your mind and I will cause you to walk in my ways. But I'm going to get to the point that the sins that are still there with the mind, because I'm putting the law in the mind, I'm writing it in your heart, but there's still sins there. So I'm going to add on the fact that I will remember your sins no more and I will bring you to a place through the blood of Jesus where you also will not remember sins anymore. So it goes on. I only got a couple more verses. First John chapter three to talk about eager anticipation of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 3, in verse 2, are you there? Amen. The Bible says this. It says, Beloved, now we are the children of God. Amen. Now, today, we are the children of God, he says, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. There is nothing on this earth there is nothing that has been revealed in the Bible that can reveal to us what we shall be. He says it hasn't been revealed yet. We're the children of God right now, but it hasn't been revealed what we shall be. And so he goes on and says, but we know that when he, Jesus, is revealed, we shall be what? Like him. For we shall see him as he is. Are you understanding what this verse is talking about? So when we talk about the Holy Spirit hovering over in eager anticipation in terms of the second coming, 
The Holy Spirit is looking at Christ ministering in the heavenly sanctuary. He's watching the lives develop. He's watching us grow. He's taking us from glory to glory to glory to glory. And he's like, listen, I cannot wait for you to see what I'm making out of your life. You see, it doesn't, it's not yet revealed what you're going to be. But there's one thing I can tell you the Holy Spirit says. Is that when Jesus is revealed, when he cracks the sky, when it peels off his face and the Bible says the lamb is on the throne and they say hide us from the face of him. And they run for the rocks and they run from the hills. Every man, mighty men, tall men, short men, powerful men, poor men, supermen, that's right, doesn't matter. They will run. But the Holy Spirit says when he is revealed, there's one thing I'm going to tell you. You're going to be like him. And you're going to see him as he is. So the Holy Spirit is saying, listen, you have no concept of what I'm making out of your life. You see, the Holy Spirit is not just a life-giving spirit. He is not just an empowering spirit, but the Holy Spirit is an artist. And in this artistry, he's taking every single one of us and he's saying, okay, this is my task to preserve your individuality as you are. And yet at the same time, make you look exactly like Jesus when you see him. Because remember, before Jesus comes, how are we beholding the glory of the Lord? Through a mirror. That's how, that's just how we're beholding the glory of the Lord. But he says when Jesus is revealed, you will see him exactly as he is. Why? Because you're going to be exactly like him. And you know, guess how Jesus sees you? Because the Bible says, I'm not going to remember your sins no more. So let's break this down a little bit. Like him. Does Jesus have any remembrance of sins? Yes or no? So he says, like him. Does Jesus look like the Father? Yes or no? Like him. When, when we look at Christ, we need to understand that the privilege of the Gospels Four of them, because you can't capture that life in one book. You need four books, and even that, John says, all the books in the world couldn't hold. This is all we could give you, and this is all the Holy Spirit saw fit to reveal. That in looking at the gospel of Jesus, we are looking at what the Holy Spirit says, this is where you're headed. This is the road I got you on, from glory to glory, this is where I'm taking you. And the Holy Spirit is looking down like a master artist, and he's, he's saying to himself, he's like, listen, he's shaking in so much anticipation because he's like, you have no idea how I'm going to use the fact that you couldn't pay your bills last month to get you to where I want you to be. You have no idea how I'm going to use the fact that your family does not support what you are doing to get you to where I want you to be. We're the ones getting frustrated. We're the ones getting discouraged. We're the ones like, Lord, what are you doing with my life? And guess what? Sometimes when an artist is working, it doesn't look organized at first. It doesn't look like it's coming together at first. It doesn't look like it's going to be finished on time. Amen? Sometimes I wonder, Lord, are you going to finish on time? Because I got some deep, deep issues and weaknesses going on. So as a result, the Holy Spirit is there at the second coming and he's so excited, not for Christ. That's not his excitement. That's not what got him shaking in an eager anticipation. What has him shaking in anticipation is the fact that when you see what you have become. You didn't hear what I just said. <laughs> the Holy Spirit is eager for us to see in the clouds, surrounded by angels. 
what we have become. In case you think I'm making this up, you say, no, no, Christ, his glory exceeds the glory of the angels, we are told. So you see this glory of all these angels, but in the middle, you can tell there's a brighter glory in the middle. That's the glory of Jesus. And so 2 Corinthians 4, <laughs> I might as well just take you there. 2 Corinthians 4, I said 1 John would be my last text, but just for the sake. 2 Corinthians 4, the Bible says in verse 16, Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. Verse 17, for our what? Light affliction. Light affliction, which is but for how long? A moment is working. You see, brothers, we need to stop at every trial, at every difficulty and say, this trial is working. Are you understanding? This trial is working. I need to stop looking at my kids getting frustrated. This trial is working. Can you say amen? Some parents know what I'm talking about. I need to stop looking at my job and my boss and this person. No, they're not working your nerves. <laughs> you need to stop saying, this lady is working. And you know what that lady doing at your job? You know what that brother is at your local church that's getting on your nerves? Whatever it is, the Bible says, is working. And you know what it's working? It's a light affliction. And it's only for a moment. But it's working for you and for me a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. This is what it's producing. The word glory in Hebrew is associated with heaviness. With weight. So he's like, listen, brother. And Paul can say the same thing in Romans chapter 8. He says, for I have reckoned that the sufferings of this present time are not even worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. He says, you're going to look back at that lady that got on your nerves at your job and you're going to say, praise God, you was working a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. You weren't working my nerves. You was working me into the kingdom. Amen. You weren't working my last nerve. You was working on me so I could look just like him. It's working for us. But you know how it's working? Verse 18, while we do not look at the things which are seen. It's what we're looking at that determines if it works. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. It's hard to see that the Spirit is working. It's hard to see it. It's hard to see how this situation is helping me become like him. But the Bible is promising to you and to me. The Holy Spirit is using every possible circumstance of life. This is his goal. And if you and I would but just surrender ourselves to his leading, everything in life would work to this end. It couldn't only come, it could only come because the Lord allowed it. That's the only reason it could come. Why is this coming? Because the Lord says, I'm going to allow this. Why? Because it's working. I know sometimes the Holy Spirit has strange tools. But when he's done, he says, when you see Jesus, you're going to be like him. Exactly like him. Tonight, I'm worried. The reason why I'm worried is because I'm afraid that my brothers and sisters in the Lord, I'm worried that some of us are discouraged. 
That's why I'm worried. The Holy Spirit is taking us from glory to glory. You're not going to get there overnight. And when the Holy Spirit was doing his work in creation, he did it day by day. And he didn't do it all in one day. Amen? Amen. He just did according to the word for that day. And that's why people say, Lord, just give me a word today. Even if it's let there be light, bring it into my life. And the Lord says all those sins, all those ugly situations, all those times that we failed, he says, there will come a day where you will not even remember. But I'm afraid that some of us have gotten discouraged. And so I want to make an invitation tonight not to surrender. We made that appeal on Monday. Not to give up sin. We made that appeal on Wednesday. But now I'm worried in this appeal for those people who are like, I'm not sure I'm going to make it. I'm discouraged when I see the progress in my own life. I feel like I should be farther along. I feel like I have so many wasted, precious years. And as a result, we begin to settle into our habits, into our ways. And we're not open for the spirit to stir up the nest like that mother eagle and saying it's time to fly. It's time for you to get out of this comfort zone and stop being afraid of being godly. Stop being afraid of going all the way for Jesus. You know, one of my favorite stories that a friend told me is about a man named Cortez. He's a conquistador. He came to the Caribbean. And they said when he left the Caribbean, he went to South America. When he got there, he told, all, he told the captain, he said, tell all the men to leave the ship. So they all went on land thinking, okay, we're going on an expedition. We're just going to survey the land, see what these people have. And then as everyone, the last man exited the ship, Cortez jumped off the ship. And he told the captain, burn the boat. He said, excuse me, sir? Burn the boat. He said, sir, what if we need to leave? And Cortez said to him, there is no leaving. Either we conquer this land or we die. Either we conquer this land or we die. There's no backup strategy. So for you and I, when the Bible says that we are more than conquerors through him that loved us, when it comes to dealing with sin, when it comes to seeking and thirsting and hungering after righteousness, Growing into the full stature of the fullness of Christ. It's time for some of us to burn the boats. No backup plan. We need to be so deep in church that if we turned away, we would have nowhere to go. That's what I'm talking about, burning the boats. No backup plan. No, I can move here. I can live here. I can leave this more community. You see, we look at those people who watch in televangelists. And other big churches putting all their money, nothing left in the bank, nothing to bestow to their kids. We're like, man, these people are foolish. They're deceived. They're all of this. But there's a reason why those churches are growing. Because the people burn the boats. They're in. And for too long, many of us were not in. We're like Ananias and Sapphira. Oh, yeah, Lord, this is everything we sold, but we got some in the back. Just in case, you know, this whole Holy Spirit, everything in common doesn't work out. I'm going to have mine. Drop dead. Drop dead. God doesn't need this whole building to be full. 
He just needs a few people to be full. That's all he needs. But what can you do in an army with discouraged soldiers who think they're not going to win? Who think they're outnumbered, outgunned, outstrategized, outskilled, outfinanced, outresourced? We don't, every, we're losing. How can you lead that army to victory? This is why I say I'm scared that some of us are discouraged. So I want to challenge us tonight to make a serious decision in our minds to burn the boats, to be so invested in Jesus like Mary Magdalene that people say, this woman has wasted on Jesus. Do you understand what I'm saying? The Bible says it took a year's wage to purchase that spike nard. And she poured it out in how long? A few minutes? Maybe a few seconds? A year's wage? And you know how she made that money. She was a prostitute. How many men did she sell her body to? To make that money? One year? How many men violated this woman? And when she took her bank account, she went and bought oil. The best smelling, the best kind. And you know where she went with it? To spray herself, to make herself feel better? I put that life behind me. I'm no longer a prostitute. I'm following Jesus now. Now I need to smell good. Nope. You know what she did? She took it and she poured it all out on Jesus. And you know who complained? It wasn't the Greeks. It was the disciples. Why this waste? Because Mary had burned the boat. She was in with Christ. 100%. She's like, I'm in. And the funny thing is, it's not even funny, I should say. The irony is that Jesus said, what this woman has done, wherever the gospel is preached, this story will be told. Forever. And who was the first one at the tomb? Mary. She got the privilege of seeing the risen Lord first. She was in. She understood what Christ required. So I'm asking us tonight, are we in? Are we in? And saying, Lord, I'm ready to burn the boats. I'm ready to take what I have and to waste it on Jesus. And say, you know what? It's for the Lord. And people are like, you're foolish. Why would you waste it that way? You know what people say, right? When you start investing in the Lord's work, how do you know what the church is using it for? Are they giving you records? You know, one man who is really wealthy, he makes hundreds of thousands of dollars of donations to ministries. One year, he donated all of his profit to ministries. And this is a multimillionaire. Anything he made above his expenses, he donated to ministry. This man was asked, right, he said, you don't, you're not concerned what they're doing with the money? You know, do you ask for, for records or whatever? He's like, I'm not giving it to the ministry. I'm giving it to the Lord. He knows what I put in the pot. <laughs> That's all that matters. So he said, people over here want to nickel and dime the church. Wait, hold on. You bought what kind of hammers? What kind of pews did you purchase? Oh, is that what my money's going for? He said, listen. We gave it to the Lord. I'm not saying don't keep people accountable. Don't misunderstand me. I'm an elder. <laughs> I'll be the first one to tell you, keep people accountable with God's money. But at the same time, this is why we tell people with tithe, it ain't yours. It's not your business. God's business. Sure does. But God wants more than money. 
God wants us to burn the boats. He wants us to step on land, say either we conquer or we die. Either we overcome or we die. Either we become like Jesus or we just don't make it. But you for sure won't win half-heartedly. We for sure won't win. So every head is bowed, every eye is closed. I want to make a very serious appeal. I'm going to move this podium back. Your heads are bowed, your eyes are closed, you're praying. There's some people in here that might be discouraged. There's some people in here that are ready to burn the boats. They're ready to go all the way in with Jesus, deep. Financially, energy, mentally, personally, emotionally, physically. They're ready to go in and say, Lord, I'm ready to burn the boats. I'm here with the Lord. If you want to say tonight, Lord, I'm ready to burn those boats, no backup plan. I'm in like Mary, and I'm ready to waste on Jesus. I want to invite you to come up front to kneel with me and say, Lord, we're in. I'm in. You just come up front and kneel with me. Because this is a prayer of consecration. I'm in. I'm burning the boats. If I got $5, the Lord has $4.99. We're in with the Lord. We say, Lord, I'm in. I'm not going to half it. I'm not just going to talk about it. I'm going to be about it. I'm 100% in. And I can't promise you it's going to be an easy road. I can't promise you everything's going to go away in your life that's bothering you. I can't promise you that all of a sudden your family will all of a sudden turn holy and love the Lord. It might just be the opposite. But what I can promise you is that if we waste on Jesus, like Mary, <laughs> it doesn't matter our past. It doesn't matter where we've come from. The Lord says this story will be told. We have that assurance and we have the assurance that when we see him, we'll be like him. We'll be like him. Father in heaven, this is such a hard decision to make. You've been leading us all week. We have a mission planned. We have all things coming up before us. We have life that we need to settle. But Lord, we are kneeling here tonight to let heaven and unfallen worlds know that we are 100% in. We're not here for the half of the journey. We're here for 100% of it. We want to follow the lamb whithersoever he goes. And Lord, we want to learn from Mary's example. This woman who was not a theologian, she was not the most learned disciple. She wasn't even a part of the inner 12. But she adored your son. He had changed her life on the deepest levels. And she had loved much. And Lord, we want to follow that same example tonight to burn the boats in our lives, all our backup plans. And we want to go fully in with Jesus. Lord, we trust that as we kneel here tonight, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, that we would be baptized with all the fullness of God. And Lord, that we would be 100% confident that we are praying unto God, our Father, who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we could ever ask or think. Amen. That we are kneeling and bowing our knees unto him who has given his only begotten son Amen. for us, purchased us at a high cost 
and has given his spirit and angels to lead us to being in the very mirror image of Christ. Lord, we rejoice in that day that will soon come when we have no more consciousness of sins. We'll be free, not just from the penalty of sin, not just from the power of sin, but from the presence of sin. Father, it is my prayer that you would hold your hands over every soul kneeling here, that you would set them apart by the blood of Jesus, that you would touch their minds with the Holy Spirit, and that they would be 100% yours, that you would use them in your work, that you would take them, protect them, place a hedge about them, and bless every work of their hands, and prosper wherever they lay their feet, and may they know it is because of their consecration to God. Thank you, Father, for hearing and answering this prayer. Thank you for visiting us this night. Thank you for speaking to our hearts. And we trust that you will revive us again, day by day, from glory to glory. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.